So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Merry Christmas, and perhaps for you, you are focusing on your New Year's resolutions in this new year. What should motivate New Year's resolutions, and how do you stick to your goals? And what is mental prayer? The Pope has declared this year the year of prayer, and we can use some sprucing up in our prayer lives. There's always a good time to do that, and what better time than now? Joining me in just a moment will be Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. His PhD focused on character development, that character formation, and really working through everything from prayer to goals, which I think is very relevant in this new year. A little later on, we'll dive into the news that the USA Boxing has adopted new policies that allow men in women's competitions. In other words, men can professionally hit women. Not just any men, but high-achieving, high-level professional athlete males can now box in the ring with women. We have some thoughts on that in just a little bit. Welcome to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. My guest today is Dr. Philip Chavez, the founder of the Men's Academy. Dr. Philip Chavez, welcome back to Trending. It's always good to be here, Timory. Thanks again for the invite. How important is motivation for the goals we set? For example, a lot of people have recently set New Year's resolutions or are still pondering them. How important is motivation? I think it becomes important with motivation when sometimes New Year's resolutions are tough and then we need motivation to keep going. And sometimes we look at just what we're doing instead of the end for which we're trying to achieve. So I find generally that when, when men see the end or have a higher motive, then they can stick more with what they're doing. So I think it's important that if we do things for the sake of God and maybe for the sake of others, instead of just for the sake of ourselves, I think even that alone will help us get better motivated. So you're saying the perspective is different when we choose to place God at the center of that. And some people might throw it back and be like, I've never really thought about God when it comes to New Year's resolutions. Can you tease that out a little bit more? Well, uh, a Catholic may say to themselves, well, I may want to go to daily mass or mass more frequently or confession more frequently or rosary, do, say a daily rosary um, and be consistent about that. But for example, our, our motivation, which is now mine, Daily Mass becomes about myself making the sacrifice of myself every time I present myself at the Holy Liturgy. I understand that Jesus' sacrifice is being reenacted and the Eucharist is being confected, and I can receive that and all the grace that comes with that. But when I make the motive about doing it for God, making the sacrifice of myself like Christ did for Him, which we all of us should be doing, uh, priest and lay faithful. I believe that's what gets uh, that's what gets me. It's particularly out of bed every morning. One could go to confession too, maybe not for the sake of getting back into grace immediately or having that immediate effect. Or one could just say, you know, I just want to reconcile myself with my father. I want to please my father, and so I will come to him, approach him, and reconcile myself to him. You know, when it comes to the rosary, the rosary has completely changed for me once I see it now as that opportunity 
to spend my time in company with my mother, with my blessed mother. It's Dr. Philip Chavez with the Men's Academy here on Relevant Radio. We're diving into the motivation behind New Year's resolutions. What's your New Year's resolution or what's one you've always wanted to make? I'd love to hear your thoughts. What's inspired you? What has been encouraging or interesting to you? And maybe you haven't quite taken it up, but it's one you've always wanted to try. If I hear some really good ones, I might actually share them here on the show. Our toll-free line is 888-914-9149. And it's sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. If you'd like to share your New Year's resolution uh, that's inspiring to you or something you've always wanted to try, but maybe you don't quite want to make that commitment yet, as we were discussing yesterday here on Trending. There's so many things behind New Year's resolutions. In fact, tomorrow here on Trending, I'm going to give you three tips for really re- recuperating after the holiday season. There's a lot going on in between finances, health, and sleep. You may need to get back on track. And so I do have three key tips on that tomorrow here on Trending. Today with me is Dr. Philip Chavez diving into what should motivate our New Year's resolutions if you make one. I've not really been a huge New Year's resolution person, but this year I've thought a little bit on, okay, on 2024, it's a good picture mindset. Here's something I want to be better at. Dr. Philip Chavez is here with me. There's a lot behind this modern culture of self-improvement, self-care, 10 tips to make your life better. What are your thoughts, Dr. Chavez, on this whole self-care and self-improvement mindset? Well, if, if that becomes the focus, it's problematic. But remember, in the it's, it's the case in the order of nature and in the order of grace. We're supposed to be growing in a kind of perfection. So any kind of human perfection of itself is a good thing. However, when one orients it with a somewhat of a a hyper self-focus or of a concentrated focus just on oneself, um, there's something, for Christian anyways, there's something not right about that order. Everything one does should always be done with a sense of doing it for God first and then others second. It's interesting because let's take it down to maybe your New Year's resolution has to do with your just interpersonal activity with people. It could be family, coworkers, children, and you really want to be better. Maybe it's in your marriage and you really want to be maybe kinder to your spouse or, you know, more patient, less angry. And that's what you're focused on. But you say that's your New Year's resolution for 2024. And then lo and behold, it sounds like what you're saying is the motivation needs to change. It needs to not be simply for that relationship or for me feeling better and not so angry or for them not feeling the the stress of my anger. But instead, there needs to be this motivation with God first. What would be that step in understanding that that motivation needs to be incorporated into your relationship with God first to help in that relationship? Okay, first, just to go back, yes, to get along with a spouse and to keep peace in the marriage, those are all good things. But it's important to keep God first in the sense of, especially in human relationships. Actually, you gave an easy example because our motivation should always be to grow in love for the other, right? And so that's the reason why we, you know, hold back our anger or try to reconcile better or and all these other things that could be done in a marital relationship. But, you know, as, as St. Paul says in Corinthians, you know, let all that you do be done in love. So love has to be the primal dynamic or the motivating factor in getting along, not just keeping peace. 
So you're saying charity is at the heart of it. And if we talk about different types of love, we're called to that love of God, that agape or charity, that is the love of God, which is sacrificial. So I see where, like you said, that's kind of a softball. Like you see the motivation is in the love of Christ in that relationship and you see the model on the on the cross. But can you give other examples of as well of maybe let's say, okay, I really want to be better about how I'm eating. I want to eat healthier. Maybe you want to start doing some intermittent fasting, start with exercise. Sure. How can you incorporate the proper motivation and incorporate it into your faith with that being good motivation? Well, in some way, trying to keep health of the body is to follow the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill, right? So when we give a kind of motivation, or rather when we give a, um, a res- make a resolution for the sake of better health, it should be to follow in some way what God wishes for us to do. And so health is a perfect example of that one. I'm trying to think of others. Yeah, even just to get in shape. You know, sometimes, too, many healthy things that we could do in terms of exercise are good because I think even for men especially, it's so helpful when they stretch themselves and and try to go past boundaries that they don't think they can. And when they make God at a motivation for it, they can see that with God's help, they can overcome even other things in their life. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about men. You're the founder of the Men's Academy, and I know a lot of your academic work has focused on character development, especially for men growing in that faith and how that is fundamental to character development. If a man's considering or maybe has started some sort of New Year's resolution, how is this as you're saying, a good opportunity to stretch himself. And why should a man really push himself in that motivation? Like, don't just make it simple. Not that it is simple, but like, don't just say, okay, I'm going to get eight hours of sleep. or I'm going to start working out. Like, how can you make that an even greater challenge that I think might be more inspiring for men? Sure. Um, Well, you know, when, when, you know, I think it's good to say that or mention that when it comes to men and resolutions, it's always most important to go back to some of the basics. You know, some of the times I find that if men have, or especially Catholic men or Christian men, are trying to reach um, temporal goals, and yet they don't have their basic spiritual goals intact, then there's something not proper about that. So a man needs to go back and to make sure whatever goals he sets, he moves into those most primal things for which he needs to work on first. And so I I just find working on the basics is the most important thing. Another thing, too, I find if men make too many resolutions, um, well, for obvious reasons, a lot of them won't be able to follow up. You know, um, I know a salesman who said, everything I do, I do in three. So every resolution a man should make, every rather, the resolutions a man should make, they never really should be more than three. Um, But I, yeah. But generally, I think, too, that men need to see that uh, somewhat deep down that it's the conquering of the challenge that I think gives something of, of God great glory. And even of themselves, it, it gives, it gives them credit to themselves, their own character development. And I find that, yeah, men won't grow in character unless he is pushing himself doing something. Oftentimes physical activities are sometimes the best things to do. But, um, yeah, even getting up in the morning and, and, and even setting a good early morning regimen. In fact, I find that if it, there's anything people need to see it set good resolutions, resolutions for is a good morning routine. Mm-hmm. At the time one gets up, the time, um, uh, yeah, immediately what happens, you know, uh, whether it's a shower up or prayers or then, then eating, 
And there should be some immediate goal in the morning that lifts one up, either physical or spiritual. Um, sometimes both is good, but um, but when, when, sometimes people are limited in time and whatnot. But I just find, and men, in fact, I had just had a recent conversation with us about a friend who just said too, is yeah, if I don't if I don't get my morning start off right, the whole day never goes well. So I don't think a man's going to ever really meet his resolutions if he hasn't even got a morning routine well settled and well established. My husband and I always admire he wakes up at four o'clock every day. He's up well every weekday and pretty darn early on the weekends as well. I mean six o'clock is sleeping into him. But on the weekdays he does that so that he has the time to accomplish what he wants. You know, that includes everything from getting ready to prayer to breakfast. But it's so important to be able to take that time to fit things in. And I will talk about this tomorrow here on the show, like this whole idea of needing to get more sleep. Well, if you want to get more sleep, you have to start with that baseline of when you want to wake up and actually know how long it takes you to achieve everything. It always cracks me up, Dr. Chavez, as I'm talking to people and they say, oh, I'm always late every day. And we could argue that some people are just late people, sure. But I think part of it too is that we just don't actually mindfully think about if I need to be here at X time and it takes me this long to do all these things in the morning. This is how early I need to go to sleep and maybe sending alarm or something such as that would help in setting up my next morning routine even better. Right. And one has to humble themselves to say, you know, I've got to, I've got to put these basic measures in place that may sound almost childish, you know, but, but they're, they're very, very important. Like you say, setting alarms or setting certain objectives or things that need to be accomplished and make sure those are um, set and established. And two, what I find as well, I, I know many men who, when they make resolutions, they have to write them out and then they post them on the bathroom mirror. And that there's something, too, with men when they can see things and make them very, very tangible and have them literally stare them in the face when in the bathroom mirror or in the door before they leave. You know, that, that tends to make the reality um, just a little more compelling and um, a little more motivating. One of the things I've liked to work on over the last 10 years with focusing on my goals is having both short-term and long-term goals. And I actually have a document on my computer and I get an email reminder once every three weeks to look at it because out of sight, out of mind. And every three weeks I look at it and with those goals are short-term goals and they're long-term goals and there are steps and timeline according to like when I hope to work on things. And, you know, I'll write a little note. You know, maybe there's a reason why this has been delayed. A focus has been put in a different area. It might be something such as maybe you want to buy a house in 2025 and you need to save up X amount this year. Maybe you want to pay off student loan debt. Uh, maybe you're trying to transition down to one income. There are lots of goals that I hear people throwing out around there. And often they tend to be very related to financial, but are there spiritual goals that are also set up on that kind of goal-oriented, both short and long-term plan that are written out in front of you? I love that you mentioned that, Dr. Philip Chavez, right in front of you, having it somewhere where you can see it every single day and it doesn't just say, okay, I'm doing this and then we move along, but that sure. they're in front of us to work on. Right. Yeah. Again, I just find it so important. Again, I, I can't help but emphasize it's so important that God be the main cause of all things. One of the reasons, too, is not just, I believe, ultimately it motivates the best or motivates more perfectly, but remember when we do things for God, the more and more we'll come to realize that it's through His power that we're allowed to accomplish anything. And so one of the things I see, especially in the men's movement, is 
a lot of self-improvement or a lot of spiritual growth becomes about discipline of the intellect and the will. And though, though we do need to incorporate those things, the pagans do that, right? There's something about every human action that a Christian takes part in to understand that it's in and through God's grace that really that it ultimately becomes accomplished. And so when we do it for God's grace, for God's glory, for His uh, great name, um, for His honor, then somehow that reality of understanding we all lean on His grace for all things tends to settle in better and keeps us at peace. Because sometimes if we try to accomplish our goals with just a firmness of will, um, that can lead to a lot of things like pride and despair, sense of failure, all these things. Yes. And so I not think lean that, on God is, yeah. is and in I think some way when, fall short. When you mentioned that, like, there is this movement in the men's movement, even the Catholic men's movement, for, as you mentioned, that discipline of intellect and will, which is fantastic. But as you said, the pagans can do that. Anyone can do that. If you fail to have God's grace there in it, you miss the side of providence and of hope and of humility. And when things don't go your way, when you don't have X in outcome for doing Y, it can be... Uh, it overwhelming and in fact some people lose their discipline or they become overly emphasized on the routine and it can spiral into a depression even for some people that's right and this is why in in the christian life generally but in all the things we do and seek there always has to be the surrender of god it's a surrender to him it's a working with him it's a moving with through him with him and in him that we're supposed to accomplish all things and that's what is expected of a Christian. Um, you know, Jesus says, follow me. So we have to follow Jesus and, and just move along with him always in all the things that we do. And that will help us keep at peace, help keep better focus, and just keep a help overall better orientation to moving what is really true and what is good. That's Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. We'll be right back with him. You can find him at themensacademy.org. That's themensacademy.org. Coming back, we'll talk about mental prayer. What is it and how can you do more of it in this year of prayer? So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's officially the year of prayer. We'll have themes that the Pope will institute for us to ponder throughout the year. We've had a year on the Eucharist, a year on faith, many different themes to the year. This year, the theme is prayer. Joining me now to discuss is Dr. Philip Chavez. He's a PhD focusing on character development and is the founder of the Men's Academy that can be found at themensacademy.org. That's themensacademy.org. What is mental prayer? Why is this year of prayer important? I am very excited for this, Dr. Philip Chavez, because mental prayer is one I've always been fascinated by. Uh, many people who are Catholic and who maybe are really involved in their faith, they share time and time again, they struggle to pray. 
They struggle to have a consistent prayer life. They don't really know what to do when they pray. I remember some years ago, I was involved in working with a religious order that was doing some focus groups on prayer. And I had helped to gather a bunch of different people to come in and share where they were at with their prayer life. And this was the resounding response. Maybe pray a couple times a week. Don't really pray at night. On occasion in the morning, there was no set sort of routine or even cadence to their day that was directing them in prayer in conversation to God. So can you talk to me a little bit more about mental prayer and how fundamental this is in our lives, and especially for men, because I know you work quite a bit with men. Sure. There's a lot to be said about prayer, and there's there's many different ways of approaching it. And, you know, I like that one thing about of Pope Benedict, I believe he said something like, you know, there are many ways to God as there are people. And prayer is something that does somewhat fit a certain individuality for a person and does become something very intimate. But to answer your question more approximately, yeah, mental prayer is a heart-to-heart conversation with God. Uh, some say we can even do that with, directly with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but God in general, and it really is prayer from the heart. It differentiates itself from meditation, where meditation is taking something, hopefully prayerfully, something of uh, saying of the saints or of Scripture, some theological truths, uh, truths of faith, and we reflect and ponder on those prayerfully. One of the reasons people don't succeed in that heart-to-heart conversation is because they don't spend much time in actual meditation. For a man, it's almost impossible. For women who already move in a personal uh, mode, they're blessed in already having uh, a disposition toward mental prayer. Men don't. They need to be woken up by certain things that they meditate on and then move, um, move into thinking about these things, pondering, but then speaking heart to heart with God about them. This is part of the reason why I love Lexio Divina and actually following some of the roadmap for Lexio Divina. If you don't know what that is, it's scriptural reading, but then it's reading and focusing in on a certain set of scripture and then responding to it, not just pondering it, but letting it become your prayer and letting it become your conversation, letting it become even your story, seeing yourself in that story and see what God has to say to you, what you have in response and what type of conversion you're being called to based on that dialogue with reading scripture. I think scripture is the best place to start when it comes to prayer and meditation and even vocal prayer. It is very much so, because one of the things we do in prayer is we we talk to God about life. We talk about our journey. We talk about our intimacy. We talk about our hopes. We talk about faith, hope, and charity, and all these things. And to your point, when one reads the Gospels especially, One is reading the life of Christ, which are called to follow, but as we take on the identity of Christ in baptism, there's something about the Gospels where our biography is written right there, too, in the journey of Jesus Christ. And we're to see everything in our lives prayerfully through that journey of Jesus Christ and dialogue with our Lord, with our Heavenly Father, about that journey um, that we can help see more in the Gospels about the journey that he has put us through, the road which he is on, he has put us on to reflect his Son. We have the great doctors, especially those who have focused on the spiritual life and prayer. I think, for example, of St. Teresa of Avila 
and St. John Lacrosse, who were uh, friends of each other, friends that have saintly friends. I always find that really interesting. Saints often travel in packs. Now, St. Teresa of Avila, when discussing mental prayer, said mental prayer is nothing else than an intimate friendship, a frequent heart-to-heart with him by whom we know ourselves to be loved. I love that quote because it reminds us of the simplicity of prayer and how we're meant to enter into that contemplative lifestyle where we're contemplating the things we endure throughout our day in union with Christ and his life, as you're saying. Yes, and there's something for women, which again, one of the things that's easier for them is to imagine and move in an intimate journey with Jesus Christ as a spouse, as a friend, as a partner, and just moving in intimacy with him. Women can gravitate to that very easily. Men, on the other hand, it doesn't work very well. This is one of the reasons why I really believe that one of the more motivating things men can do when they think about mental prayer and what it is to move in intimate conversation is to, is to reckon with that own relationship they have with their own sons. Reckon with that father-son relationship and reckon with that son-to-father relationship. And if they can, can connect with how much they would wish their son to approach them every day just to be in company and close conversation for 15, 20 minutes, a half hour every day, how pleasing that would be to a father. So if a man could connect with that aspiration that he has, that he would otherwise want to have with his son, then he may come to understand more intimately that aspiration his Heavenly Father wants to have with him. Now, I know men are very systematic, and so when you talk about men struggling more with mental prayer than women, do men then need systems? Do they need a structure for how to start out this mental prayer, how to do the beginning, the middle, and the end? And if so, what would you recommend? Well, there's different methods on this, and there's some spiritual writers who boil down some of the writings of the saints. Um, I like Eugene Boylan. Um, I'm trying to think of another. Um, the Way of Mental Prayer? Who, Have you read that by yeah, Father way, Ludi? That's really great. What do you think? I've seen that before. I know I haven't done that. Um, yeah, I'm, um, I'm just trying to think. Some, some things by Guardini or, um, gosh, there's another author I'm trying to think of, too. But, yes, sometimes these systems work in place. You know, one of the things which... I try to do with men when I get them in conferences, if we're, if it's on a father-son theme, you should all have them write down those things which they want to say to their sons. Son, I hope you know I always got your back. Son, I hope you can come to me for anything. Son, I hope you know you're always provided for. Son, you're, you're everything to me. And when men write these down, and I start them out with those things, and they have to write down uh, others, right? Then we may go through these later. But when a man reads these back to himself as if his heavenly father was saying it to him, sometimes men get wrecked, and you'll actually see them weeping. It's very, very powerful. But my, my system of doing a lot of things is to connect with the natural journey and the natural mode. And I believe men should see and be in some way motivated by what's already in the human heart and how that connects with God. And all these aspirations that God has for him, which, again, we go back to writing things down, right? When, when, when they're written down and they're made clear, and one can, again, read them 
as a father to a son, as a heavenly father to oneself, that is highly impacting and in some way highly motivating to, to pray. You know, when we're talking about mental prayer as well, and if you're just joining us, that's Dr. Philip Chavez from The Men's Academy joining me now here on Trending. You can find him at themensacademy.org. When I think of mental prayer, I always think of St. Benedict and his saying of or et labora, work at prayer and prayer at work, and how really that's meant to be our interior life throughout the day. When I think of mental prayer, that's what it is. It's we all have this interior dialogue that's running throughout the day, critiquing, complimenting, uh, dwelling on things, working through problems. The the mind can be so active. And I know women's minds tend to be more active than men. I know it's always amazing to me that men can really just sit in front of a wall and only think about a wall as women have kind of this (laughs) multi-functioning, just interior life going. But the interior life is ultimately what we're talking about when we discuss mental prayer. And with that, it's really uniting our experience of the day to prayer. And so as you're mentioning kind of some of these systems, how does a man start to enter into that all day long interior dialogue with our Lord or in asking for the intercession, for example, of someone such as St. Joseph? Okay, now that all-day dialogue that you mentioned is going to only really start when it becomes part of the day, right? So if a man becomes engaged in what it is to live in mental prayer, live in communion with the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and he focuses on just doing that for 15, 20 minutes or half hour each day, then he can grow into a habit where he does it more often and more often throughout the day. And yes, we're all supposed to grow it's some kind of awareness that we are in communion with God always. And it's something the saints have achieved. You know, the, the, the awareness of God was never outside of, of any of their, their daily routine. But I find, too, for men, you know, as you mentioned St. Benedict, he said, ora et labora, prayer and work. One without the other is very, very difficult, especially for men. And I find if most men, if they don't have a good working life in order, it's, they're not going to really have a good prayer life in order. It's amazing how much things of the spiritual and moral order in some way are contingent on the physical activity of a man. And I find that if he's able to get this his physical activity in right order, then there's something about his spiritual life and his moral life that can also follow suit. But and, and incorporating the two is also important. In fact, one of the things I find is one of the reasons why I don't think men persevere in prayer is because they think um, they need to be kneeling or, or sitting or being still. I think women can do that, or men who have labored out in the fields for a while can do that. But most men, the far majority, need more walking time. And for most men, in order for them to focus um, be engaged. You know, when a man makes a decision, what does he do? He gets up and he paces. He walks up and down his office. And men need to learn how to incorporate prayer um, with their walking, with more walking. You know, even Fulton Sheen, didn't he call the rosary an ambulatory prayer? In fact, I do all my rosaries walking, and it's much easier to persevere in that than it is just to be still. Again, that might work for somebody or a man or a woman who's, who's already got much physical activity accomplished and somewhat needs the rest and repose, but most men need to be moving. 
And one of the reasons why I believe men are declining spiritually is because they've, they're declining physically with less physical activity, making it harder to even think and ponder and all the things it takes to maintain the spiritual life. That's excellent. So get moving as you pray, gentlemen. St. John Lacrosse says, without the aid of mental prayer, the soul cannot triumph over the forces of the demon. That's been Dr. Philip Chavez here on Trending with Timur. You can find him at themensacademy.org. That's themensacademy.org. We'll be right back. I want to hear your thoughts, Dr. Chavez, on the USA Boxing adopting a new policy allowing men in women's competitions. We'll be right back here on Trending. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. USA Boxing has implemented a new policy allowing men in women's competitions. I'm flabbergasted by this, and I grew up with my brother and the boys in my life being taught, you never hit a girl. In fact, I remembered when I was a kid, my brother and I were just talking about this the other day, uh, the warning that my mom used to give my brother and us girls of, hey, don't press your brother, don't push him, don't try to roughhouse with him, because one day he'll be stronger than you and he could really hurt you, and very easily. Well, here's what's happening now. Men in the USA Boxing can now deliver a skull-cracking blow to a woman if they desire to play women's sports, and specifically USA Boxing with women. The rule has changed. It was implemented officially this week in the new year after being voted on, I think, over a year ago. The rule was, what is it with 2024? There were a bunch of things that were discussed a couple years ago, passed into law, such as California. I'll share with you tomorrow how toy stores in California Again, another gender-neutral ideology uh, that toy stores in California have to have a gender-neutral toy aisle, which isn't that big of a deal because many toys are applicable to both male and female children. But this rule, here's the rule. In order for a man to compete against women in boxing, one, you need gender reassignment surgery, so-called gender reassignment surgery. You can go through with bodily mutilation surgery, but it doesn't change who you are fundamentally. You're just reconstructing the body. Second, the person, the man, needs to maintain a lower-than-normal range of testosterone, meeting specific requirements. So you're suppressing testosterone. You're using testosterone blockers within the body. There's a lot to be said that's wrong with wrong with this rule because what it's saying is that, hey, <laughs> testosterone and a lack of low-hanging fruits don't really define a woman. <laughs> that's all it's saying. So, hey, as long as you don't have too much testosterone, you don't have low-hanging fruit, that makes you a woman. So go ahead, punch a girl, and that's okay. That is what USA Boxing is saying with this new implemented rule allowing men to box with women. This is an inadequate qualification for a much stronger man to hit a woman. That's the bottom line. It's an inadequate qualification. Think about this very seriously for just a moment. Male athletes are some of the strongest and most talented people 
when it comes to physical capabilities and agility. And you're telling me that male athletes at the Olympic level, if they want to throw down with women, you just have to suppress your testosterone a little bit, you know, chop off certain body parts, maybe add a few others. And now you can throw not only a career-ending blow, but a life-ending blow at a woman. I just want to be really clear here. I think this is a great opportunity for women universally to boycott if men are going to compete against them. This is a strong feminist opportunity for girls to have girls' backs and not compete universally. This is a misogynistic rule at the end of the day. And the next level of men and women's sports, before it was just setting and breaking records against women and taking championships, now it's potentially completely breaking their skulls open. And this isn't even an exaggeration. I'll share with you even some of the professional boxers' comments on this. But joining me now is Dr. Philip Chavez from the Men's Academy. I would love to hear your thoughts on this, Dr. Chavez. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said here, you know, especially about a subject like this, because we want to somehow make something intelligible about what seems to be so inintelligible. We want to bring sanity into all this from what is just so, so insane, you know, I mean, out the gate, it's just such a violation of, of the right human order and, and God's will and all the rest. You know, I, I started boxing when I was 15. I picked it up again in my early 50s. And um, it was something so helpful to me. Yeah. And of course, when I was 15, it was totally unintelligible to even think about getting in a ring with a woman. What happened, though, as I found out years later, most martial arts now are done in a co-ed mode. Now, in a boxing gyms, you will find less women, but there is a trend to incorporate them more and more, especially in the drills. And so if I was fortunate, I was able to go to a place where mainly just men participated. Again, that was my early 50s, okay, not, not so long ago. But um, I just found that, yeah, it, it was just impossible just to even execute drills with them. Because, let, you know, I mean, you could hit one in the face or in the chest, but, um, you know, it, it, when you hit a mitt, that, that can even hurt a woman who's holding a mitt. So that it's, it's hard to even do that without hurting them. So the whole thing just becomes a very unintelligible enterprise. But it is true, you know, as you mentioned, uh, that scenario, of, you know, when children are instructed such about boys and girls and, and limitations and all the rest, how they should behave with each other, brothers and sisters. When men are engaged in some kind of physical combat work, it, it, it just it, it's harmful to their character development. And I don't find anything in any way helpful about men and women competing in any kind of martial arts. Mm, and I think that that's a whole other topic in and of itself. If we talk about MMA, mixed martial arts, competition, uh, it's an interesting and interesting topic to take up. But this one that just gets me, the fact that uh, setting aside my thoughts, and I have heavy opinions as well about competing in boxing, especially women, but just hearing even what some of the top athletes in the nation, in the world have said, and people are weighing in from all over. For example, you have two-time boxing gold medalist Clarissa Shields, who commented just looking at this saying, not the right decision. You have people such as 
Australian boxer Ebony Bridgson, who on X said, or also formerly known as Twitter, I can't get used to that one. She said, I will never agree to this. She said, it's bad enough having trans women breaking records in other sports like track and field, swimming and powerlifting, but it's a bit different to them breaking our skulls in combat sports where the aim is to hurt you, not just break a record. However, I think it's wrong in all sports. She has some key thoughts here, Philip, and I think just kind of looking at what we're seeing in response from top-level female athletes in boxing, there's much to be said regarding this whole idea that even the women in boxing who are top-notch athletes are making comments such as what Ebony Bridges also said. She said, it ain't just about the test levels. What about their bone density and heap of other biological factors? She said, cutting your bits off and adding um, breasts, basically, don't won't make the back the back the it won't take back the masculine maturity your body has gone through before you decide you are now a woman. Yeah, oh gosh, where do I even start commenting on all of this? One of these things we, all these women are very very clear on is they've been in uh, the combat art, boxing, or mixed martial arts, or whatnot. As a woman, they've had much uh, exposure to men in those same arts, right? And so that's just the way it is because it's mainly those are mainly male-dominated sports, and they are very, very clear that men will crush them, and nobody wants to be beaten and nobody wants to be hurt. And these women are very clear that's what is going to be the result. And as you mentioned, yes, it's it's not just that somebody's going to be hurt. But I have a feeling that, yes, some are going to actually um, experience death because of this. It's frightening to see. I really wonder what will happen. It's my sincere hope and thought that female athletes will have each other's backs here come along. And I think this is a real big feminist argument here where women will say we're not competing until you change this policy. And maybe that won't happen until they're actually expected to face a man. But in my strong opinion, what sort of man is actually going to be willing to enter into a professional level boxing ring with a woman and put her at that type of risk? I think that Honestly, he would be humiliated by public media before he would ever enter into that sort of situation. What are your thoughts? Well, that might be the case, but remember, we're not talking about just a man. We're talking about what people now call a trans woman, right? So they already have deep-seated psychological issues. So for them to compromise themselves and get into a ring, I can see that. You know, it was somewhat bizarre, too, when I read the... um, one of the commentaries on it, yeah, part of the, the purpose of all of this, which was a little bit bizarre, is that to provide fairness and safety for all boxers, right? Well, the yes. irony is here, the irony is here, there is a little bit of fairness here, only in this sense. I'm sure they keep the same the weight class, right? Mm. Now, whether you talk about uh, super heavyweights, that's something else, but, but they're going to have to keep the same weight class. Now, in other competitive sports where males and females are engaging, Weight isn't really a factor. So there will be a certain leveling out here. But still, it, it is a very twisted thing. And I, I have a feeling in the end, um, it's, it's, I don't think this is going to last very long, not only for the reasons you mentioned, but I just think that, again, um, the injury level, we may see a death level. I think people are going to get very turned off by the mere appearance of, I'll use the term, trans women fighting against women. I mean, I, I don't even know what that's going to look like seeing a trans woman and, you know, uh, boxing gear. Right? And, and 
just the whole interaction. And if there's anything that, too, that men, yeah, that men and women both reveal is something of their own sexual nature in combat, it's going to, the whole thing is going to look and appear very twisted. And again, you talk about the requirements, you know, right now, what are those requirements? And you just mentioned too, you know, they have to go through that full sex reassignment surgery and they have to have a low testosterone level. And who knows what other requirements are going to be piled on or, or what's going to happen. But my, my thinking about this is it's not going to last very long. I think it's going to implode. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And just to kind of put some different perspectives on this, uh, my producer Patrick just commented. He said, Athlete Alley, which is a national organization promoting inclusive athletics environments, released the following statement, essentially saying that they don't agree with the policy and that they want more. They want USA Boxing to get rid of the expectation of surgical requirements for participation so that anyone, trans, non-binary, intersex, whatever you label yourself as, even if your youth can participate in line with whatever their supposedly called gender identity is. So they're saying, hey, this isn't enough. We still want them uh, to not even have to meet these basic requirements, which, again, aren't even enough to chop off the low-hanging fruit and to suppress some of your testosterone. You still have bone density. You still have uh, the way the hips are built, the way the shoulders are built that gives you a severe competitive advantage over women, not to mention that you'll be one of the top-level athletes competing against women. Other interesting facts on this topic is that as you look at USA Boxing, it's USA Boxing that is allowing for men to compete and throw blows at women, but we're not seeing this internationally yet, which is fasting. We're seeing other groupings such as World Swimming and World Track and Field that do not allow people who identify as women to compete with men and vice versa. But we may see this change in the months and weeks to come. It's a big topic. It's hot. But I think that when we talk about men in women's sports and vice versa, there's a lot to point out on just a basic biological, physiological level that there are male and female sex differences written into every cell of the human body. And while you can try to cut off some low-hanging fruits, add some extra fat in some areas, or decrease the T and increase the E, there is a lot still to be worked out in this area, and I just don't think it's right to play politics on the backs, lives, and skulls of women and women's boxing. That's been Dr. Philip Chavez here with me on Trending with Timmer. You can find him at themensacademy.org. That's themensacademy.org. Taking some questions here today that came in, Claudia asked how to find a pro-life OBGYN or one who won't prescribe birth control. Great question. I'm sorry to hear about the challenge to find a good doctor who practices real medicine and not politics. A couple resources you can look into. MyCatholicDoctor.com has a ton of online resources for uh, pro-life doctors, both to be seen online and not online. They're a great network to look into. But also uh, NAPRO Physicians as well, FertilityCare.org. I'm posting a link there as well where you can find uh, some of whom NAPRO Physicians, many of whom are OBGYN, some of whom are not. But those would be two great places to start to find a pro-life OBGYN in your area and even call and contact those two groups. So I'll post that in the episode notes as well as in the show notes for today's show. Another question came in from Lisa. She said, 
I am the mom of a 14-year-old avid reader and have been looking for books or a series for her that are true to our faith. Additionally, I would like a book that guides us to raising her to be a virtuous woman. Do you have any recommendations you can share? Great question. Um, I think that's awesome if your daughter's an avid reader. 14, I was an avid reader as well. I still am to the best of my ability with kids. Uh, just some books that off the top of my head. A standalone book, I actually read it last year to my daughter and her feast day was just yesterday, was St. Genevieve. There's a great uh, book of St. Genevieve, matron of Paris, that is fantastic. Some of it's the true facts of St. Genevieve's life. Some of it has details filled in, but that's a great book. So I'm posting a link to that on social media. Also, the Sword and Serpent series uh, chronicles the life of uh, St. George. It's a fiction with some historical elements and a lot of other elements added in incorporating many saints. I loved that series. If you're looking for explicitly Catholic content, uh, some non-Catholic fun content, but informative for teenage girls, would include Emotional Virtue. Uh, That's a great book by Sarah Swafford. I'll include a link to it on that. And then just clean content to look into. I'm all about cultivating the imagination, so don't be afraid to read and vet various fantasy stories and others. Fantasy is a little harder to pick up today if it's uh, really been published over the last 20 to 30 years. So looking back, and things such as the classics, Nancy Drew are great. I never read Nancy Drew. My sister did. I know there's a Christian, it's not explicitly Catholic, but a Christian uh, almost like teen fiction uh, romance series, like not not overtly romantic, but uh, just the cute stories that my sister used to love that I'll have to grab the name of. It might be Agatha Christie. I might be wrong. I'll have to find those and throw a link to that in the episode notes for today's show as well as well as on social media. But I challenge you to also start incorporating some lofty theology, you know, not forcing your kid to read that all the time, but reading even some of the short encyclicals. I read Pope St. Paul VI Humana Vitae on birth control for the first time when I was 12. Uh, Adam and Eve after the pill as your daughter starts to get a little older into those teen years. There's some really great books as your daughter's maturing and has content that uh, she can dive into that gets into the some of the philosophy and the debate surrounding women and feminism. So those are just a couple thoughts as well, but those are some books to add in. I'll be sure to include links in the episode note, show notes for today's show, which by the way, you can always catch the podcast on our new and improved Relevant Radio app. It's been fully updated, great integration and features. You can share episodes of this show from there, just as you can listen on other podcast platforms. You can check out all our episodes at relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you catch your podcast. But please go download the new Relevant Radio app. Great prayer features, even play as you go prayer features. So go check that out now in your app store. I'll be back tomorrow here on Relevant Radio.